Well, what you think about someone can dramatically shape the way you treat them. Uh, we saw this played out in an ugly fashion a couple of weeks ago. It was just after the state government let everybody know uh, which local councils were to be amalgamated. Uh, not everyone was happy. At the first meeting of the new Inner West Council in Sydney, about 200 people turned up to protest. They drowned out speakers, forced the meeting to be abandoned. One lady was so angry at the new council administrator, she spat on him as he walked out of the meeting. What you think about someone can dramatically shape the way you treat them. But it also works in positive ways too, doesn't it? I mean, the bride who spends weeks choosing her dress and hours getting her hair and makeup done, she doesn't arrive at the church building, you know, beam at all the guests gawking at her and look up to see her groom in shorts and singlet. I mean, if she did... What would that be saying about what her groom thinks of her? No, the groom's done his best, hasn't he, to scrub up as well. He's got his suit and his vest on, done his hair for the first time in a week. He's even had a shave, polished his shoes, because this is his bride we're talking about. He thinks the world of her. What you think about someone can dramatically shape the way you treat them. We left Philippians last week with Paul pouring out his heart about what he thinks of Christ. That for him to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul is completely overwhelmed by the worth of Christ. And now from verse 27, Paul turns his attention to the Philippians, urging them that they would appreciate the importance of Christ, that they would understand Christ's glory so that they'll be dramatically shaped in the way that they treat him that they'll conduct themselves in a manner worthy of Christ and his gospel. That's what our verses are all about this morning. And the great news is that Paul doesn't just urge them to live worthy of Christ, but he also spells out how. He's going to give us four ways to fittingly honour Christ. But we'll look at these four ways after we've first thought about what it even means to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of him. So look at it with me there. Look at verse 27. Paul says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. In other words, live in a way that lines up with Christ and all that he's done for you. Live in a way that matches who Christ is and what he's done. Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of his gospel. Now what it means to live in a manner worthy of someone depends on who the someone is, doesn't it? So let's say you have a master who's a tyrant. You know, a cold and cruel master who only cares about getting what he wants. He happily crushes people who are in his way. If you worked for someone like that, well, to work in a manner worthy of them would be to go and get whatever your master wants, whatever the means. It doesn't matter if you have to be cruel to people, your master gets what he wants. But if you had a good master... Say someone like, I don't know, the Lord Jesus. Then it's a whole different story, isn't it? Because who is Christ? He is God become man. And he became a man so that he could be executed. 
Jesus is God become man to die on a splintered cross for you, for your sins. This is how kind and tender hearted the Lord Jesus is. And he was then raised from the dead, given all authority and power. One day he'll be sent back to earth in blazing glory to judge the living and the dead. And on that day of Christ, all of his precious and dearly loved people will be brought to him to enjoy eternal life. There is so much that could be said about Christ and his gospel. But even from just that little summary that I've given you, let me ask you, what does Christ mean to you? What do you think of him? When Paul says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. What does that stir up within you? Feelings of burden? Feelings of guilt? Or feelings of anticipation? Feelings of excitement, thoughts of opportunities, stirrings of motivations to see Christ honoured as much as you can in your life. Friends, when Paul wrote, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, he wasn't being dull or authoritarian. He was filled with the grandeur of Christ, convinced of the glory of Christ and urging us to gladly give our dues to our good and holy and noble King. And so, brothers and sisters, I trust that we're just itching to know how we can conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of Christ and his gospel, because that's what we want to do. This is how we want to live. So how do you live in a way that lines up with Christ and his gospel? Well, thankfully, that's exactly what Paul goes on to spell out for us. From verse, the rest of verse 27, he now gives four ways how to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. So let's look at the first way, and that is that we can worthily honour our Lord by standing firm as one in his gospel. So look at verse 27 again. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm... In one spirit. That's the first way to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of Christ's gospel. We are to stand firm. To not move away from Christ at all. And this is conduct worthy of Christ in his gospel because it recognises the eternal truth that Jesus Christ is Lord. That for all eternity, there's no other name by which we can be saved. The gospel of Christ is God's eternal gospel. It's not going to change. It's not going to be improved. And so conduct worthy of Christ in his gospel is to stand firm in him. Not to waver, not to wander, not to drift away from Christ, not to be you know, carried away by any wind of teaching that comes our way, but to stand firm, rock solid in the truth of Christ. Like a tree with its roots buried deep in the ground. Like a battleship securely anchored in a harbour. Like the sun, immovable at the centre of our solar system, we are to stand firm. In one spirit, Paul says. In other words, we're to do this together. United in the truth of Christ. A church family bedded down on the gospel of Christ. 
resolute in our conviction, determined in our stand. Friends, we have our hill to die on. His name is Jesus. And in the truth of his gospel, we will not budge because Jesus Christ is the eternal Lord. And so to live in a manner worthy of him and his gospel, we're not moving. We're standing firm in his gospel. Second way Paul tells us that we can live lives worthy of Christ and his gospel is to contend as one for the gospel, to be striving together as one for the sake of Christ. So pick it up now, halfway through verse 27. Halfway through 27. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. Okay, we just looked at standing firm in Christ. This one's more like standing up for Christ. This is proactively promoting the gospel of Christ. This is speaking out about Christ loud and proud. This is sticking your head up and saying to the world, I live to honour Christ. It's to contend for Christ. It's toiling, labouring, struggling, striving where to contend as one man for the faith of the gospel. And this is conduct worthy of Christ and his gospel because it reflects the truth that Christ matters. His gospel matters. This is the Lord Jesus we're talking about. He is worth contending for. So you know when uh, siblings get in trouble, uh, sorry, get in a squabble and it can be over the most trivial things, you know, like who puts the toy away or who played with it last or he's touching my book. Or she's looking at me, you know, and the exasperated parent says for the thousandth time, look, just don't worry about it. It's not worth getting upset about. It's not worth fighting over. It doesn't really matter. Friends, when it comes to Christ and his gospel, he does really matter. He is worth taking a stand for where to contend for his gospel. Because we recognise that in Christ we know the Lord and Judge of the world. In his gospel we have the news of forgiveness and salvation. This isn't trivial. This is essential. And so to live in line with this gospel, Paul says, we're to contend as one man for it. We are to toil, to labour, to strive for the gospel together. And we can do that amongst one another as well as contending for the gospel out there in our community. So firstly, contending for the gospel among one another here at church. And we do that whenever we work at seeing one another grow in our following of Christ. It's working together to see the gospel take deep root in our lives. So it's our growth group leaders working hard each week to lead us in the truth of the scriptures. It's our kids' church teachers preparing their lessons and pouring their lives into our children as they share the word of God with them. It's having people into your home to see how they're going and to encourage them to stick at following Jesus. It's our mob and clag leaders sharing their lives in the gospel with our primary schoolers and our teenagers. It's ringing people up during the week to see how they're going and if they need a hand with anything. It's a thousand different ways that we put our shoulder to the wheel, making a deliberate effort to see the faith of the gospel remain in us all. It's contending for the gospel. 
And look, I know a lot of you are doing this hard work. And if that's you, then brothers and sisters, breathe this in. It means you're conducting yourself in a manner worthy of Christ. And there isn't any higher praise than that. But if church at nine is simply something you come to on a Sunday, duck home, and that's that. If you hear that yet again we need kids' church teachers, but you just figure someone else will do it. If you're not striving, toiling, and contending for the faith of the gospel among us, that's not worthy of Christ and his gospel. If in all honesty, right now, you sit pretty loosely to your church family, forget what the rest of us might think about that. What do you think Christ Jesus himself thinks about that? But we're not to just contend for the gospel amongst ourselves. We're also to be contending for the gospel out there in the community, which brings us to the third way that we can conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of Christ and his gospel, and that is that we're to contend for the gospel without fear, to stand up for Christ out there in the world without being frightened by those who would oppose us. The Philippians had to do this. Paul urged them that as they got picked on for living for the Lord Jesus, he urged them, don't back down in the face of opposition. Pick it up halfway through verse 27. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. For the Philippians, there were those who opposed them and attacked them simply because they followed Christ. But conduct worthy of Christ and his gospel is to contend for the gospel even in the face of opposition. Because continuing to stand up for Christ recognises that in the gospel we know who's really in charge. We know that it's the Lord Jesus that in the end we really have to answer to and obey. So we don't live in the fear of man. We live in the fear of God. Because in the gospel we know what happens in the end when Jesus returns. That those who persist in opposing Christ, well, they'll be destroyed. But those who remain loyal to Christ, they'll be saved. And so conduct worthy of Christ is to contend for his gospel even when persecuted for it. So pick it up towards the end of verse 27 there. End of verse 27. Contending as one man for the the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed but that you will be saved and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. God's plan for his people is that they believe in Christ and suffer for Christ and then enjoy eternal salvation with Christ. So when we're persecuted for the Lord Jesus, when we suffer for Christ, we continue to contend for his gospel without fear because we know God's in control. Everything's going according to his plans. And so we don't go into our shells. We keep running our outreach events here at church. 
You keep talking to your schoolmates in the playground about Jesus. You keep talking to your friends and your neighbours and your workmates about how they need to acknowledge Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. We keep speaking to the world around about us about Jesus, even when we're persecuted. That's conduct worthy of Christ because it acknowledges that God is still in control and that in the end we only have his salvation to look forward to. And the last worthy conduct Paul spells out for us is that we're to do all of this as one. We're to be in this together. He's already mentioned this when he said that we're to stand firm in one spirit and that we're to contend as one man for the gospel. But just in case we missed it, he really rams home the point in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 2. So look at it there with me. Chapter 2, verse 1. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... If any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. If you know Christ at all, Paul says, we're to be like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. As a church family, we're to be as one committed to Christ and his gospel, together seeking his glory and honour. We're not to be dragging our heels about this. We're not to be politely letting everyone else be keen for Jesus. We're not to be getting us distracted by all kinds of other interests, but together with determination and in earnestness, we're to be striving together to see all of our lives lived for the honour of Christ. You ever been in a working party or a group of really any sort where you're all focused on the task at hand and you're working together as one team? I've read that it was a little bit like that for the Sydney Olympic volunteers. Uh, Or after terrible bushfires, there were teams of people that went up into the affected areas to rebuild fences for affected farmers and those people loved working together for a great cause. Uh, Maybe you've been involved in a particular project, might have been at work, or at school, and there were just a few of you assigned to the task and you all got in and you saw it through. For me, uh, this was just a one-off, but I can remember in my uni days training with my rugby team, and this particular time, it was the week before the grand final, and because it was the grand final coming up, we were focused. For this training session, we trained longer, we trained harder, and there was no joking around. We all knew exactly what we were there for, and we made sure that we all knew what we had to do come grand final day. And I remember walking off the training pitch that afternoon, thinking that I'd never been to a training session like that before. Just the solidarity we had, the focus we had, the determination, we were of one mind together. Friends, it's that sort of thing where to have, but not for a football game and not for a one-off, but a sustained unity because our unity is in nothing less than Christ and his gospel. And so each and every one of us is to be of the same mind about the importance of Christ, like-minded in appreciating his worth, enjoying the same purpose of seeing one another live lives worthy of Christ. Which means we're not going to let little things distract us or insignificant things derail us. 
So, for example, we're not going to get hung up on the style of our meetings not being exactly the kind of thing we would like. We're not going to get our noses out of joint by the number of songs we sing. We're not going to get petty over the way people dress. We're not going to avoid certain people in our church family just because they're not you know, socially the same as ourselves. Because compared to knowing Christ together, all those things are tiny, aren't they? It's like getting upset that you didn't get as many peas on your plate at Christmas when the rest of your plate is filled with three types of meat, piles of roast veggies, and you know which one of the four desserts that's coming on on offer afterwards, you know which one you're going to have. Friends, as a church family, we've been united with Christ. Together we have fellowship with the Spirit. Together we know the love of Christ. And so we are standing firm in one Spirit, not budging from the gospel of Christ. We're contending as one man for the gospel, unashamedly standing up for Christ, without fear of those who oppose us. And we're like-minded being one in spirit and purpose, we are gladly giving our dues to our holy and noble King Jesus. Because what do we want to do? We want to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of Christ and his gospel. Friends, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for bringing us to your Son, that in him we have your forgiveness, we are your people. And Father, we thank you for the rich blessing of bringing us together as your people. Father, thank you for the gift of being church at nine. And Father, we ask that amongst us we would stand firm in one spirit. We would contend as one for the faith of the gospel. Father, help us to have such a mind of the Lord Jesus as to strive together to see him honoured, that, Father, our greatest delight and contentment would be in knowing Christ together. Father, please do this good work in us that amongst us, Father, we would bring your son such credit, such praise and such honour. And, Father, we ask it all in his name. Amen.